Paul Revere Williams was a trailblazing mid-century African-American architect. And despite the intense prejudices of his era, he emerged as a leading creator throughout the West. You might recognize his impact on the Las Vegas landscape in the La Concha Motel, the Guardian Angel Chapel on the Strip, and an entire neighborhood on the historic West Side. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we speak with Carmen Beals of the Nevada Museum of Art. They're bringing a retrospective of Paul Revere Williams' work through the lens of photographer Jonna Ireland starting December 3rd. We'll make sure you get all those details at the end of the episode. It's Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Carmen Beals, welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas. It's such a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much for having me again. Why should Las Vegans know who Paul Revere Williams is? He is a trailblazing African-American architect that has 10 designs that are still alive and well throughout the entire state of Nevada. He was the first individual as an African-American to graduate from USC. Uh, University of Southern California. He was also the first African-American to join the AIA, which is American Institute of Architects Association. In fact, he was called the architect to the stars because so many people loved his designs. Frank Sinatra, Lucille Ball, One of my favorites is the La Concha Motel, which can now be found at the Neon Museum. In northern Nevada, you have other um, homes such as the Luella Garvey home, which is the first home that Paul Revere Williams was commissioned to design in 1934. And there's a couple of uh, motels, which is the Lovelock Inn motel that he designed. And then there's fun remnants of something called the El Reno Apartments, which people could temporarily rent out uh, during that fun divorce era where we were one of the only liberal states that allowed individuals to easily divorce in the 1930s. He designed the Guardian Angel Cathedral in Las Vegas that's still up and going today that has a beautiful history. He designed the community called Berkeley Square, which is located in the historic side of Las Vegas. And this is very important because of the fact that prior to his designs, it was very hard for African-Americans to actually purchase a house in Las Vegas. And because of him, 148 families could at that time in the 1950s dwell in their own housing unit, it, although it was a segregated community, red line community. Las Vegas did not have the best reputation at the time. In fact, uh, till even after that period of time, we were called the Mississippi of the West for reasons that were mostly related to the racial segregation, which was an unfortunate part of our history. But yeah, he, he went into that uh, historic West Side in a part of town where they were going to allow people of color to live, which, you know, I I think for a lot of people blows their mind that that even had to be a thing. But there was this development of 40 acres of really lovely, especially for the era, homes for people to move into. 
That's correct. They were three bedroom, two bathroom homes that were specifically created and designed so that individuals as your family grew, you can easily add on. He knew the condition, the living conditions um, in the historic West Side, although um, they did have nice houses in that area. So he worked with the Federal Housing Authority to develop the first middle-class suburb in mm. the state of Nevada, which is now called Berkeley Square because Thomas L. Berkeley, who was a civil rights activist and an attorney, was the individual that assisted with the finances. And you can still see those beautiful homes today in the West Side, and people are so proud of them. The the citizens that dwell in there, are, they are so proud of them. And they were more, they were a real community. So if you belong to the Air Force and you were away, your neighbor would come over and uh, mow your lawn. And for those of us uh, who live in the city listening to this, that is uh, an area uh, near the the lettered streets uh, around Owens area. Those houses have have stood the test of time in a, in a place like Las Vegas where uh, things come and go. Buildings come and go. It, it sounds like uh, Paul Revere Williams had a, a a better average than most. Yes, you are absolutely right. Bringing dignity to individuals who just wanted the everyday American dream. And most of the families still own them today, maybe second or third generation who who's living there. Here's this uh architect that's trailblazing all over Nevada doing these important projects, many of which last decades now beyond his life, and all during a time when, you know, there was still a lot of racial prejudice, uh, very explicit in our country, and yet he was still able to do that. And sometimes he had to actually create different methodologies on how to handle those racial barriers. One of the most famous ones that many people probably know about is the fact that he could not sit next to his client like most architects are known to do this day and age. He had to learn how to draw upside down in order to facilitate the needs of his clients. Not only did he use that as a tool to go through racial barriers, but he also utilized that as a fun business way to engage people to where they wanted to work with him which was a nice two-in-one yeah. thing. That's just, I mean, jaw-dropping. So let me ask you this. What, what was his approach to architecture? You mentioned small houses. So what happens to him when when he gets to Las Vegas. He was introduced to Northern Nevada through luxury, but here in Nevada, Southern Nevada, he was introduced to us through necessity. Carver mm. Park, World War II, because at that time, the government was recruiting a lot of individuals from Arkansas and Louisiana, African-Americans specifically, to create magnesium for the war effort. So as usual, segregation was in play and those individuals needed a place to stay. And so that's when the government commissioned Williams to create Carver Park for African-Americans to dwell. And where, where is that? That is actually located in what we now know as 
Henderson, but at that time it was known as Basic Town. Okay. All right. And so um, that sort of style is very different from, let's say, the La Concha. So was the La Concha a departure for Paul Revere Williams, or was it kind of what he was doing elsewhere? The La Concha did not come into play until after the war, and the La Concha was designed in a googie-styled architecture, which is highly styled, and it's designed so that it can just capture the attention of a person as they're flying down the highway. And it was such a successful project to where, although it was a motel that did not consist of any casinos, it was very well known. In fact, some of the celebrities that stayed there were the Carpenters, Muhammad Ali, Elizabeth Taylor, and the old Gipper, Ronald Reagan. And for those people who may be new to the community or didn't have the opportunity to see the La Concha when it was in its original site, uh, I'm just going to put a little personal note in here. I lived right behind the La Concha for the first 10 years of my life. Uh, I shared a wall with the lot that the La Concha was in, so I saw it almost every day. But it was right across from what is modern-day Resorts World uh, and right next to a storied coffee shop called the Pepper Mill. So that's where the La Concha was originally. Now, of course, people can see it in the lob- as the lobby of the Neon Museum. And I believe there was also another Googie building that he made uh, very near the La Concha, which was called the El Morocco, uh, which is no longer there. That was even more flourishes in those curves and things. So what what does make uh, Paul Revere Williams unique as an architect? Well, the one thing that I love about him is that if you look at other architects or quote unquote, as we call them now, star architects, you can see that they have one style or a basic style. Unlike those, his number one priority was ensuring that the client was happy. So you can actually see all of the styles that he's done in the past, colonial, uh, neoclassical, Tudor, etc. Um, and you can see how nimble he was from the 1920s when he began practicing through 1973 when he retired. And I think that's an exceptional quality that everyone can appreciate when they study his designs. If you had to sum up, Carmen, what his impact was on Las Vegas, how would you describe that? Just being able to be so innovative and ahead of his time and just capturing the essence of what period Vegas was in. And each of those different designs that are still here today or some of the designs that are rendered would be able to just explain where we are at that moment. And tell me a little bit more about the exhibit that's going to be down here in Las Vegas. Are are we going to see some beautiful photographs of some of those Las Vegas buildings we've been talking about and maybe others too? Yes, you will. You will see beautiful photographs of uh, those 10 10 different designs throughout the state of Nevada. You will also see some of the designs that are no longer here. Even some of the renderings, such as the Skylift Magic Cab, which we know as the monorail system today. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. This was a proposal for a monorail back in the 60s in collaboration with like Lockheed and some other big players that was going to connect our airport down the strip. That was the original the original monorail plan and Paul uh, Revere Williams was the one who was going to do it, yeah? Yes, that 
you were right. And I'm just so happy that it came into fruition and we have him to point back to. Carmen Beals, thank you for coming back to CityCast Las Vegas. We really enjoyed the conversation. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You can catch Jonna Ireland on the architectural legacy of Paul Revere Williams in Nevada at the Nevada State Museum. That's the one at the Springs Preserve from December 3rd through late spring. Before you go, a little news. Now that Las Vegas has landed an upcoming Super Bowl, Formula One racing, and the college basketball Final Four, what's next on our sporting bucket list? Tourism officials say it's the college football championship, the pinnacle of the college game. But currently, the dates are set to overlap with CES, so my vote is to combine the two events, like deck a legion out in the latest tech, maybe a giant hovering electronic football with John Madden's voice spewing popcorn and hot dogs on the crowd. Maybe. Meanwhile, it looks like we did it, Nevada. We spent nearly all of the $2.7 billion allocated through the Federal American Rescue Act's funds. The largest spending areas include housing, health care, and infrastructure. Incoming Governor Joe Lombardo will only have about 4% of the funds left to spend, but with newly minted Chief of Staff Ben Kikeffer, Lombardo has an experienced guide to get him through the budget. And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Did you learn something new about our city, like the story behind the iconic design of the Neon Museum's lobby? Send this episode to your friends who are fans of the Neon Museum. I am. Then make sure you're both following the show and write us a review while you're at it, like this one from Sam Forbes, who says, CityCast Vegas is the only news I've ingested since the polls closed, and I feel wonderful. It keeps me connected and aware, but not overwhelmed. Thanks, Sam. Don't forget to subscribe to our morning newsletter, y'all. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Yeah, he had a horse, and he drove through Las Vegas going, the buildings are coming, the buildings are coming. No, I'm just joking.